Welcome to Living With, a podcast about the stories and people behind Health Union. Health Union integrates the power of human connection and technology, uniting people in the shared experiences of life with chronic health conditions. I'm Emily Downward. This episode is part of our series featuring the Social Health Award winners. The Social Health Awards recognize and celebrate those individuals who are essential to the ongoing conversations and connections made through social health. The Healthcare Collaborator Award is for advocates bridging the gap between industry stakeholders and healthcare consumers. Whether speaking at conferences, consulting with healthcare companies, or using their experience to help make changes in the healthcare industry, these patient leaders are impacting the healthcare landscape at large. Our Healthcare Collaborator Award for 2022 goes to Ella Balassa. Ella was diagnosed with cystic fibrosis, CF, at 18 months old. Despite having 25% lung function, Ella has never let that hold her back. She is a writer, patient advocate, and scientist who graduated with a degree in biology and has worked in an environmental microbiology lab. Over the past few years, Ella has become increasingly involved in the CF community. She has found opportunities to serve on research committees and organize a research-focused CF virtual conference. Through her writing, she has been able to provide a scientific voice and empower the CF community, along with sharing the hardships and triumphs that come with living with a chronic illness. Welcome, Ella. It's such an honor to talk to you today. Thank you so much. Um, So great to be here chatting with you, and it's truly an honor for me to be accepting this award. Um, I, I couldn't, I couldn't have dreamed that I would be recognized in this way. Um, but it really, so it really is an accomplishment and, and, and I'm very excited. That, and that was my first question is what does it mean to you to win this award? <laughs> yeah, it means, as I said, it, it means so much to me. It, it's, um, it resembles you know, how far I guess I've come in my advocacy journey, how much I, how much my work has impacted the community. And not only have I feel like I've helped other patients in their journeys and, you know, serve as an example uh, of the work and the way that we can collaborate and make change in healthcare, but I also feel like now I've in become recognized in industry as well for being this voice and bridging these gaps in in what you know under and helping industry understand what patients needs are where our burdens are and how they can help us to you know create better health better treatments um, and overall improving our quality of life and that's that's so needed let's go back a little bit how has living with cystic fibrosis shaped your life? Living with CF has pretty dramatically changed my life or affected my life. Um, I think day to day, I I try not to let it, you know, I try not to think about it and I try not to um, let it get in the way of what I want to accomplish. But if I look at, you know, the trajectory of my life and overall, you know, what, who I am now and what I've become and what I'm able to do, CF has significantly shaped that. And obviously, you know, from, from the, the biggest thing is that I don't, I would not be an advocate. I would not be in this line of work if, or, you know, in this, in this position at all, if I didn't deal with having CF. Um, 
you know, it's certainly, I describe CF as my greatest blessing and my greatest curse because although it has limited my life in many, many ways and, you know, with the difficulty in breathing, um, a lot of hospitalizations, dealing with surgeries, it really is a constant focus and it requires constant everyday attention to maintain my health. But without having CF, I wouldn't be who I am. I wouldn't, I, I wouldn't have maybe this drive and this level of passion for a specific area or a specific area of work or, you know, a passion in my life as strongly as I do now, if I didn't have a life-threatening disease to deal with and manage every day that does fuel me to want to do more, be more, and, you know, create a better life for myself. And, and by doing that, that's, that's advocacy. And I, I would say creating a better life, not just for yourself, but for other patients with CF and other patients with other chronic illnesses. Yes, absolutely. Um, I, you know, I do this, yes, for myself, for my own care, but really because I see and have experienced those challenges and those difficulties, and I don't want others to have to go through the same, you know, in, in navigating their relationships with their care teams. You know, I want that to be streamlined, to be optimized, um, made better, made it easier. Um, clinical trial involvement, you know, make that more accessible, make it easier. Don't, you know, don't have as many hurdles and burdens involved in that. So those are the things that I hope to change. Looking at your, your resume and what you're doing in social media and the speaking engagements that you've had with industry and really being that patient voice and doing it very eloquently, I would say, it's, it's amazing to me knowing a little bit about CF, but can you describe for, to people that don't know about CF, what is it like on a daily basis? What do you need to go through? On a daily basis, I have to do uh, three to four breathing treatments per day. So this consists of inhaling medications into my lungs to open the airways and um, allowing me to cough out the mucus that builds up in the lungs. So to, to backtrack a bit, um, cystic fibrosis is a multi-organ affected disease that causes this mucus build up in the lungs, sort of like, I make the analogy often if, um, like if you're, if someone is very sick with a respiratory bug, right, respiratory infection, and they have a lot of junk in their lungs that they have to cough out, or a lot of sinus issue, you know, sinus congestion, that's what it is, but all the time. So I deal with that day in and day out. So daily, I have to clear this mucus from the lungs to be able to breathe. Um, and over time, the disease because of the these infections in the lungs from the mucus that that traps bacteria so these infections then you know with, with the cycle of the inflammation from the, the immune system trying to fight these infections and um it, it causes lung damage so it deteriorates the lung tissue and so at this point i have about 25 percent lung function which um you know it's hard to kind of have an idea of what that feels like, but, um, you know, I, depending on the state of my lungs that day, you know, if I'm pretty congested, 
it can be difficult for me to, you know, walk a block or two or walk a flight of stairs. I can be very winded by the time I get to the top. So I require um, using supplemental oxygen through a nasal cannula, which I use when I sleep uh, and when I exercise or do any sort of like physical exertion. Um, and that can be, I also have to wear it when I travel in airplanes because of the altitude change and the pressure change. Um, so it can be um, cumbersome and, you know, a lot to, to manage. But like I said, I try not to let it hold me back and I do everything that I hope, you know, I try to do everything that I can with, of course, modifications and limitations sometimes. Um, so in addition to that, I've had a number of hospitalizations throughout my life to treat these lung infections. Um, so that's uh, requiring intravenous antibiotics. So antibiotics are the primary um, method of treating the disease, um, the symptoms of the lung infections and the disease. So I've ever since I was little, multiple times a year, I've had to be hospitalized to get these IV treatments. Uh, for a number of weeks at a time. As I've gotten older, I've been able to do them at home. So I get a more permanent IV placed in my arm in the hospital, and then I go home and then I'm, I administer the intravenous antibiotics myself um, multiple times a day. Um, that can be very tiring because of the, of the schedule they require to drip for a number of hours each day. And it makes me pretty immobile um, as far as like getting out of the house sometimes. Um, and then I've had lung surgeries for collapsed lungs as well. And that's just from the uh, deterioration of the lung tissue, which causes parts of it to necrotize or to die off. And then that can cause these, um, you know, sort of like lung collapses. So um, those are kind of the things that I've dealt with. And CF is a, is a progressive disease. So, you know, at some point I will require getting a lung transplant because of the you know, how, I guess, the deterioration of the lungs and how bad that would become, um, you know, a person with CF will go into respiratory failure, ultimately, and that's what requires lung transplant. So that's in my foreseeable future, probably in the next few years. However, you know, I, I, I look at it positively because I think about all the things that I may be able to do again that I can't do now physically, you know, that requires a lot of lung effort and exertion and exertion to do you know a lot of like more strenuous sports activities like that which i'm a pretty active person but those are things that i'm no longer able to do and would love to again at some point thank you for sharing all that it's it's a lot it's a lot to deal with and i i'm so impressed with how positive you are and that shows through in everything you do that you you do take kind of that that positive outlook on everything I try. I try. <laughs> it can be difficult, you know. It certainly can. I can have my downtimes as well. Um, but but trying to maintain that positivity and thinking about, okay, tomorrow might be better. You know, tomorrow might bring a better day. And I look forward to that. When did you realize that being an advocate for your own care was important? It was a... Um, it was a progression over time. So as I transi transitioned from pediatric to adult care, um, I started to take on more responsibility for my own care. So communicating 
directly with my doctor, not having my mom help me, not having my mom necessarily go with me to the clinic, um, communicating with the pharmacies for refills and navigating prior authorizations through my insurance, calling insurance when there was issues with my billing. So these are things that I began to take on as I became an adult and transitioned into adult care. And that's when I started to realize the areas of, of you know, need where, where patients like me have a hard time navigating, where there's a lack of information or resources. Um, you know, and then even within, especially when it came to communicating with my doctors. So I, you know, see a number of specialists, pulmonary pulmonologists primarily, but at two different centers as well. So that coordination with their their knowledge about my care, making sure that they were in sync, they knew everything that was happening with me. So having these experiences of, you know, bridging um, these communication gaps um, that really made me realize that I needed to be, I needed to be that bridge. I needed to make sure that I understood my care to then be able to relay these messages and also to gain understanding and do research about what might help me. What, if there's, a, if there's anything out there that maybe new or research or, you know, clinical trials that I could potentially be a part of or, you know, new research and new advancement. Specifically, <clears throat> in late, later on, um, as I was in my mid-20s, is when I really started to feel the effects of my disease more, where I was having to, I was having these hospitalizations much more often, these infections were becoming much more difficult to treat, um, and I was realizing that my life wasn't really going to be sustainable very long with the rate of infections and the requirement of antibiotics that I was using. And I found out about an experimental treatment that treats these infections in the lungs. And this is not an FDA approved therapy, it's something that's still in academic research. And nonetheless, I, I had found out about this through a lot of my own research online and I contacted Yale, which is where this treatment specifically was being done. And I was able to navigate receiving that treatment, that experimental treatment myself without the help of my doctor. In fact, he wasn't really aware of it. He didn't really know, he really didn't have a lot of opinions or suggestions for me, even though I asked, he was like, do you think this is something I should do? So that was really, a pivotal moment for me where I realized if I up until that point hadn't been as active in my care, hadn't been doing as much research, hadn't wasn't a partner in my care, I would never have come to a point where I could even access or know about a treatment like that, which ended up, which did at the time help my, help my um, lung infection that I was battling. But that was probably the biggest moment of, you know, thinking, wow, like my all my own, I've done, I did this all myself, obviously, right with the help of those researchers that administered that for me and that coordination, but, but I did all the communicating myself. And, you know, if I wasn't the advocate that I was for myself, those opportunities and that care wouldn't be accessible to me. 
Yeah, that's huge. Because as you've described, it was, it was a life-saving treatment for you at that time. It was, it really was. And I think about that too. I was like, wow, like how miraculous it was that I found out about that treatment just at a time where I was so, I was so very, very sick. And this is something I've written about quite a bit. And our, our um, articles are out there on the internet about this, this treatment, but um, I won't go into it too much more here, but um, it, it really was a life changing. Through your experience as a patient, as an advocate, and as a scientist, you have a really unique perspective on where the gaps are. And I'd, I'd love to hear from your perspective, what, what do patients need to do or learn? What do the doctors need to learn or, or do differently? And then what does industry, how does industry need to change or approach this differently? I'll start with patients first. I think we as patients need to take stock in our lived experience and see our value as partners in care. So I think we need to be confident in our knowledge and our abilities and our understanding of how we can improve or affect our own healthcare. As in the example I gave before about my care, you know, I think we, if we have that ability to engage in dialogue with our physicians and come to the table with ideas and questions to create this co-partnering environment with our, with our healthcare practitioners, I think that we can achieve much greater and better health outcomes because of that. So I think that's my one piece of advice and what I really, you know, the, the patient's self-empowerment is really what I strongly advocate for and what I think is going to move healthcare forward because, you know, we all, we all have to be active in that. We all have to be working towards it. And we're, we're equally as important in that puzzle piece, if not the most important, because we understand our day-to-day -day life, where we struggle, what our burdens are, and we can relay that to our doctors, to industry, for them to understand what we need and, and why and how we can get there. Um, as far as doctors go and physicians and healthcare or healthcare providers, um, I think that, I mean, I, I think I maybe have a biased view of this because I've had wonderful physicians throughout my life. But I think part, part of that is because of the way that I've approached the relationship. You know, I viewed them not as adversaries, but of, as allies and helping me get to the care and the treatment that I need. But I think, you know, sometimes physicians, um, care providers can have preconceived ideas about who a patient is based on the information that they gather from their health records, you know, without really getting to know that person and understanding their their health experiences and what led them to where they are in their health right now. Because there's so many factors outside of just their disease state, right? There's our our mental health, our socioeconomic status, so many, you know, financial, so many things that play an effect in how we're able to manage our health and how we're doing, how our health is overall. Um, so you know, paying more attention to that and really listening to patients and trying to understand them, having that 
holistic relationship. And then another small piece of that too, well, maybe a big piece, but, um, you know, I really urge physician care, care providers to do their research too and understanding what new therapeutics are out there. You know, I'm specifically thinking about like the clinical trial pipeline and how much gaps there are in finding out about new new trials, getting patients enrolled. You know, I think there's so many hurdles there that, you know, maybe they, they can they can take a little more um, uh, and I realize, right, doctors are spread thin. They have so many patients to take care of. But, you know, being more on top of uh, new innovation and new research and being being advocates for patients to be involved in research opportunities as an alternative to care. So, you know, clinical research as a care option is something that I think is very important. Um, and then when it comes to industry and what they can do to support patients, it's similar to, as with physicians, listening to patients and understanding and really having that empathy, right? That empathy is a big thing that I, I really push, I and I really advocate for is, it, you know, it's not just, it's not just a consumer, it's not a, patients are not just the consumer. It, it has to go, healthcare has to go beyond that, right? We're not just buying the medications and the products and that healthcare that industry is, is you know, creating, but really it's advancing our health overall. And so that relationship has to go beyond just a transaction. And so it's really, it's holistic, understanding us as more than just our disease and trying to tailor treatments, therapeutics to meet those needs in the ways that patients can use it the most and it be most helpful to us. Um, so it, it's, it's helping, it's that they should help to build that trusting relationship with us and do so with empathy and an and intention of helping humanity. So well said. I, I love how you say it's, it's more than just a transaction because, yeah, the products that we're taking impact our whole quality of life. So, yeah, I, I, love, I love how you put that. Um, yeah. What gives you hope about CF? It gives me hope that there are many new therapeutic options in the pipeline. Many of them are still in early trial phases that may take a number of years to progress, but you know, genetic, ther genetic therapies are on the horizon and they are being actively pursued and, and, and um, studied. And I think that is leading us ultimately towards a cure, which is exciting. You know, I, I don't, I have a lot of hope, but I'm a very um, real person. So, um, and I think that helps me stay grounded and, and helps me um, just navigate each day um, with, with the fortitude that, that it requires. Um, but, you know, I, I don't know that I'll ever see the cure in my lifetime, but that is still something that excites me and gives me hope because future generations, those younger than me, are going to experience 
you know, they're, they're not going to have to deal with the disease that I do today. And, and that is something to celebrate and it's exciting. And, um, you know, I think that that, that's all partly what fuels me too, as well. I was going to ask what inspires you to, to continue on with your, all your advocacy work? It's the knowledge that I'm impacting future generations, those that are new to diagnosis, those that are going to experience these health challenges in the future, or maybe they already do right now, but I'm helping to make healthcare more accessible, easier to um, navigate, um, hopefully, you know, have a part in bringing new therapeutics to market, um, and then ultimately in empowering others to be these active, active um, participants in their care, so that they can have a direct impact um, in in their own in their own quality of life, longevity. Well, Ella, it's been such a pleasure to talk to you. Thank you so much for all that you do, and congratulations again on winning this award. Thank you so much. You can find Ella online at ellabalasa.com and on Instagram at ellabalasa advocacy, on Twitter at ellabalasa1, and on Facebook at ellabalasa patient advocate. You can also read her articles and join the conversation at cystic-fibrosis.com. Health Union is the leader in social health, with 41 condition-specific online communities and the Social Health Network, which encompasses more than 100,000 patient leaders covering nearly every health condition. You can learn more at health-union.com. Thank you for listening to Living With. I'm Emily Downward.